If you have your Bibles this morning, and you would, find Mark chapter 4, as we are finishing up this wonderful chapter in God's Word, and we've been looking about some uh, wonderful things, some challenging things about the parable of the sowers. Uh, we've been looking at uh, light under a basket. We've been looking at uh, faith and mustard seeds. And a lot of times when people get to chapter 4, verse 35, because it doesn't have to do with soil, uh, they think it is a totally different thing. But that is not the case. Uh, it is still talking about faith, real faith, true faith, and growing faith. But today as we talk about the God over creation, um, when we hear this story, immediately our mind, if we're honest, um, we are always the victim. We're always the one in the storm. We don't know why we're in the storm. We don't know what is happening in the storm, and we just need the Lord. But in the Bible, there are three different situations that bring storms into our life. One is a storm like we will look at today, where someone is doing God's will, being faithful to God's will, and God brings a storm into their life to strengthen their faith. There is another time when storms can come in your life, when someone makes a choice to not listen to God's word, and you are drug along with them. Sometimes that happens in the sense when a husband wants to go one direction, a wife wants to go a different direction. Sometimes it's when a church wants to go one direction, someone else wants to go a different direction. And the third time we see storms in the lives of people is when you and I are living in sin and God is trying to get our attention. And in that moment, we can ask for God's help, God's protection, God's influence, but what we need to do is repent. And so I want to show you an example of both of those first two so that each and every one of us can allow the Spirit of God to deal with us. And then after we have dealt with those issues, then we can see the rescue that God wants to provide. Over in the book of Jonah, if you would, flip over with me. It's not that far back to your left. Most of us know the story of Jonah. God told Jonah to go to Nineveh, didn't want to go to Nineveh. Didn't want to go to those people, didn't want to deal with those people, and knew that God was a merciful God. But listen in verses 4 through 9 of Jonah chapter 1. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God, threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship, had lain down and was fast asleep. I'm going to say this, and I said it in the first service, so it's not fair. Sometimes people will say, well, I can sleep at night with a clear conscience. I must be right with God. Here is evidence that you can sleep all night and be wrong with God. Your heart can lie to you. Your sleep patterns can lie to you. Look here. All right. So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know for what cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation, and where do you come from? 
What is your country? And of what people are you? They said, who are you? Where are you going? And what have you done? And listen to Jonah's response. So he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. He says, I belong to God and I believe in God. Now you say that wouldn't be very evident by the reason he's in this mess, right? But God used the storm to bring Jonah to a place of repentance. Now the second storm I want to show you comes from the book of Acts. Go back to the book of Mark and turn a few books to your right. And you will find the book of Acts in chapter 27. Paul was on his way to prison. He was on his way to Rome. He was a a prisoner, had no say in what was to go on, but yet he had given some advice that the Lord had laid on his heart. And starting in verse 9, it says, Now when much time had been spent, and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised them. So Paul gave his two cents. Paul says, this is the way I think we should go saying, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ships, but also of lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. So the owner of the ship, the sailors on the ship, told the Roman guard, Don't you worry. Paul's not a fisherman, he's a tent maker. He's a prisoner. We will be fine. So verse 12, it says, And because the harbor was not suitable to winter, and the majority advised to set sail there also, if by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete opening toward the southwest and northwest, and winter there. Verse 13, When the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire. So the winds even seemed to be going the right direction. Everything seemed to be exactly like they hoped for. Putting out to sea, they sailed close to sea. But not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose called Eurocyclidon. So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. So what they means is they couldn't control the ship, they couldn't go to the ship, they just gave it to its ocean flow. And if we know from that story, Paul says, men, don't worry about the ship, don't save the ship, don't save the things in ship. God has told me that we are going to be okay. You see, Paul was put into a situation even after he had warned them that he did not want to be in, didn't think they could be in, but yet the storm affected him. And so today, whether you're here because the storm is something that you are doing in your life, that God loves you enough to get your attention, or today you are here struggling with a storm because someone has dragged you into it against your wishes, either one of those, God is still with you. But the third storm today that we're looking at in the book of Mark here, if you would stand with me out of a reverence to the reading of God's Word. On the same day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. 
And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be, that even the wind and sea obey him? If you would pray with me. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And Lord, today we all know that we are either heading to a storm, coming out of a storm, Lord, or in a storm. And so today, Lord, I pray that these words would be an encouragement. Lord, they would be used by your spirit to remind us of who we believe in. And Lord, for those that are here that don't know you, that are being battered and, Lord, feeling like they're drowning in the storm, that, Lord, you really can save them from their sin. Lord, I ask that if there's any sin in my heart or life that would hinder or grieve what your spirit is trying to do, Lord, I ask your forgiveness. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we find ourselves in the storm. We've looked at our lives. We've allowed the Spirit of God to deal with us. And there are three quick things I want to show to you. Uh, today I am not trying to avoid you. I will not be standing at the back door. I have come down with something not sure what, uh, but I just want to be more safe than usual. Um, but I want to show you today the first thing that we're looking at is the perfect situation. Look at verses 35 and 36. If you remember what's been going on, there have been mass healings. Lives have been changed. Everything in Jesus' ministry looks like it should. The blind are getting their sight. The sick are being made well. The demon-possessed are being delivered. The disciples are right in the middle of it. They're watching this. They're hearing from Jesus in private. They are a part of something so special and magnificent. They are doing what God wants them to do. Everything seems perfect. Jesus says we've got to go across the Sea of Galilee. It's from one side to the other. It's a large lake. And look what it says here in verses 35 and 36. On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. And when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him. If you want to read this same story, you can read it in Mark, in Mark chapter 4, Matthew chapter 8, and Luke chapter 8. And in the other gospels, the word for sail doesn't mean row. Like, oh, we had to row, it was difficult. It gives the idea of being blown by the wind. They had a perfect wind. They were able to put the sails up and just coast across the northern edge of this large lake. Everything was peaceful. Everything was like it was supposed to be. And can we be honest today? That's how it seems to go, doesn't it? Just when you feel like you've gotten enough money to retire, cancer strikes. Just when you feel like you've got your kids raised, one of them comes home and says something like, I, I'm in love with someone of the same sex, or I, I want to be a different gender, and something that's totally abandoning God's Word. You finally feel like you've arrived at work, you finally got that promotion, and someone lays you off. Those are the moments that we feel like happen. And when it rains, it pours. 
But I want to say this today because so many times we're made to feel guilty about being in the good times. Never let Satan make you feel bad when God has blessed you with a season of peace, a season of joy, a season of prosperity, a season where everything seems to be going okay. Now some people want to live in every disaster that happens. It don't matter what it is or if it affects them, that's where they thrive. But friends, you can praise God just as much in the good times as you can the bad. God is faithful whether He is blessing in times of abundant or He is providing in times of great scarcity. And so we see this. We see this perfect situation. Second thing I want to show you this morning is that we see people with a storm. It goes on in verse 37 and says, And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? These types of storms are very common on the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is the lowest freshwater body of water in the world. It is surrounded by hills and and uh, the way the wind uh, works between November and April are dangerous times to be on the water. And yet this storm arrives. They know that it is a possibility that it is coming, just like we do. We know that there is potential storms around every doctor visit. We know there's potential storms around every relationship. And so as it comes, though, they begin to fear. They begin to worry because this storm is coming to a point where it could possibly sink the ships. If you read Matthew or Luke, you'll see that into the night, or that they were afraid, that they were afraid of being overtaken. Friends, today the question is not will the storm come, it is when. And the question is not will it rock your boat, it is how much. And what we see here are men who are doing nothing that we can tell that they should not have been doing. They were merely following God's command to we've got to go somewhere else. We've got to do something else. We've got to be somewhere else. And so I want you to see that storms happen, but I want you to see this third point. You say, Jake, is the sermon going to be short? Yes, this point is a little longer, okay? The third point is the power to calm the storm. The power to calm the storm. Look in verses 39 through 41. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to him, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea Obey Him. That word for no faith has been a great problem for most Bible teachers. Because some people will say, well, none of these disciples, none of the people in the boat were really saved. And other people will say, well, no, 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 they're mostly saved, but yet their faith is lacking. And what I think is it can be both. Friends, if you're here today and you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you are in a boat with no hope. You are in a storm with no anchor. You are dealing with sin with no forgiveness. Friends, you need Him as the Lord and Savior 
of your life. But if you're here today and you are a child of God, let's be honest, all of us can have our faith shaken. All of us can go through moments when our faith wavers, when there's doubt, when there is is fear. And so both of these are valid. But I don't want you to miss this today because he says, why are you so fearful? He says, you have just seen me do all of these things. He said, you have been there when the lame got up and walked. You were there when they were pressing on me so much and the blind received their sight. You were there when the mute could not speak and began to speak. He said, you've seen all of this. Why are you fearful? And I believe it is this. And you can disagree with me, you can be wrong, and I will lose no sleep at all. Satan's greatest attack on Bible-believing Christians comes in the form of his trying to get you to doubt that God is the creator of everything. About the simple fact that God created everything in six literal days, and then he rested. You say, Jake, why is that? If God does not create everything out of nothing, he does not have the power to speak life into your situation. He doesn't have the power to heal the sick. He doesn't have power to give sight to the blind. He does not have power that is reserved for the God who created and rules and sustains everything. And so when you read throughout the entire Old Testament, when you look about the power, or you look about something that caused fear in these people's lives, it was always tied back into what? Creation, the storms, the lightning, the stars, the heaven. Why? Because this great miracle that God did, this great power that God has put on display, was evident for them. And so when a storm came, that seemed to be the thing that could kill them, that could destroy them, that could sink them, the thing that they had no control over, they began to be fearful. Now, for most of us, we're educated, we're smarter, we know, right, that the weather follows a pattern, and you can turn on the weather channel, and they'll be right one out of ten times, right? But yet we trust that, that we know what's coming, we know how it works, we know how to avoid it. But friends, we can be the same way. In the areas of our life that we think we have the most control, we should be prepared for Satan to strike there. If you run a business, you should be surprised for Satan to try to undermine your authority there. If you work at a church, you ought to expect that that's where the Lord tries to undermine, or Satan tries to undermine the authority there. If you farm, you ought to expect Satan will try to work there. Because wherever you feel like you are in control the most, Satan says, that's where I want to get them. Satan doesn't want to deal with your life parts that are already a mess. They're already what? A mess! He knows he has those. Most of us have our lives compartmentalized, right? If I can just get home from work. Or if I just don't have to go home from work. Right, if I can just go to school, if I just don't have to go to school. We live for the good parts of our life, not the hard parts. If I can just make it to vacation, if I can just make it to retirement, if I can just make it to Christmas, that's how we live our lives. Those are the points in our life that we find strength, 
We find safety. We find security. And you need to know that that's where Satan's coming for. Because he wants you to doubt. He wants you to be afraid. He wants you to be discouraged. Listen to what the writer of Psalm 89 said about storms and about the Lord's control. In Psalm 89, starting in verses 8 and 9, O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty like you? O Lord, your faithfulness also surrounds you. You rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. He says, God, you can calm the storm. God, you are over the storm. Psalms 107, starting in verse 28, the Bible says, Then they cry out in their trouble, and He brings them out of their distress. Now don't miss that. There's people with a need. There's people with a problem. There's people with a struggle. Distress. And when they cry out, He delivers them. How does He deliver them? Look at verse 29. He calms the storm so that its waves are still. Then they are glad because they are quiet. So He guides them to their desired haven. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for His goodness, for His wonderful works to the children of man. Don't miss this. He didn't say that He calmed the storm and the waves to leave them somewhere. It said he calmed the storm and the waves to take them to the haven. The storm that you are in is not the destination God has you for. Whyever you're there, God is doing something in it for when you get to where you're supposed to be. Now you say, Jake, that sounds very jolly. Don't don't believe that. That's what it says. He calmed the waves, he calmed the storm, so he guides them to their desired haven. Well, you say, well, whose desire? Well, there it says theirs. You say, well, all i got to do is trust God in the storm and He'll give me whatever I want. No! But when your desires are His desires, when His glory is what you want your life to be about, when pleasing Him is what you want your life to be, friends, I can promise you this, He will get you where He wants you to be. And you know what it says there, that verse ends about giving God the glory, giving God praise. Why does God take us through storms? One, to grow us. But two, it is because a lost and dying world needs to see that our God is not dead. You say, well, God worked in the past. God worked in the distant past. But the Bible says that God was and He is and He will be you got to quit living on yesterday. Oh, well, God was good to us in the 70s. God was good to us in the 80s. God was good to us in the 90s. Some of you are going, oh, my parents weren't even born in the 70s. God was good to us in the 2000s. God was good to us in 2010. No, God is good now. And you have to believe that God can work in your life today just like He's always been working. This world does not need to hear about what He did do, but what He is doing now. That our God is alive. That our God is active. That God is working in my heart and my life when I go through the sickness, when I go through the storm, when I go through loss, when I go through success. God is at work and the world needs to hear what He's doing. 
You say, well, Jake, I don't agree with that. Well, that's great, because I'd like to show you one more time from the book of Mark about why God got them through the storm. You see, when they were going through this storm, all they were worried about was staying alive. But God knew where they had to be. In Mark chapter 5, we're just going to look at two verses. There was a man on the other side of that sea that needed the Lord. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gardarns. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately, immediately, don't miss that, not three hours, not six hours, not nine hours, not two days, immediately, Jesus gets off the boat. His disciples get off the boat and immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. You see, Jesus was going to where he was going because that man needed a touch. Those disciples needed to be grown in their faith because a storm is a pretty insignificant thing as to facing a demon-possessed man. God was growing their faith and obedience through that ride to prepare them for what was coming. You say, well, Jesus was there for them in chapter 5, but yeah, if you want to flip over into chapter 6, Jesus is going to start sending them out. And when he sends them out two by two, he gave them power over unclean spirits. You see, everything God was doing was to strengthen them, to encourage them, was to prepare them for how he was going to use them in the future. And friends, today I have no idea what God has in store for me. I have no idea what God has in store for you. I have no idea, no idea. But what I can promise you this is if you will let him work on you now, he will have something for you when you get there. Now, that's not how we look at life. I said this in the first service, and so I don't ever want to be... Most of us live like, like this. If I can just get through work to the point where I can retire. You say, Jake, there's a lot of gray-headed people in here. Don't take it up with me. You could take it up with the Lord or fire me at any point, all right? If I can just get to a point where my life can be mine. Now, there's nothing wrong with retiring and there's nothing wrong with working. But you better remember, wherever God has you, you ought to be using it for His glory. This is how God wants you to view your life. Precious are the death of his saints in his eyes. You say, how in the world could God view a Christian's death as precious? This is why. Because you have accomplished all that God wanted you to accomplish. He's used you for all he's wanted you to be used for. He has taken every bit of what he has for you. He's accomplished it. He's worked it. He's done it. You didn't retire. You then just have been rewarded. Because that's what the Bible teaches us. We serve God, we serve God, we honor Him, we love Him, we follow Him, and then we leave this world for every reward that He ever promised. You say, well, that's not how I think of it. And then it's because you're thinking of it wrong. Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he said, I've fought, I've raced, I've done. He said, my life is being poured out like a drink offering. 
And what is wrong in our church, what's wrong in our life, what's wrong in my family, is we've compartmentalized God and saying, Lord, everything I have is yours. God, all I want is to be used by you. For as long as you'll let me, God, use me. God, for as long as you can use me to help someone else, use me. You see, that's what the danger is of not living for the Lord. It doesn't just dishonor God. You have no idea who God has waiting for you across the sea. You have no idea who God has waiting for you across the street. You have no idea who God has waiting for you at work. And some little old grandma might have been praying and praying and praying for decades that someone would reach her wayward grandson. And boy, you just happen to be the person that God uses at work. Oh, I've just been praying and praying and praying that God would use or work or send somebody to work in my family. And God just might choose you. When you begin to view your life that way, I believe the joys and the benefits and the blessings are endless. But friends, all that growing, it happens in the storm. All that ability to trust God and to rely on God and to lean into God, it's through the storms. You say, well, Jake, I don't care enough about people to go through the storms. Now, that's a question you've got to ask yourself, because I'll be honest, I've been plenty of times in my life that I'm not willing to go through that storm. I'm not willing to take that stand. I'm not willing to put up with that nonsense. I don't want no part of it. And then God's had to say to me, Jake, you sure you don't want to grow? You sure you don't want to trust me more? And then the question is, who do I really love? This guy or that one? And that's the question that defines all of us. Do you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength? Or do you love yourself? Father, we thank you so much today for your word. And Lord, just the encouragement that you will be with us. Lord, the encouragement that you do not waste a storm. Lord, whether it's to correct us, whether it's to teach us to trust you when someone else leads us astray, or Lord, when it is for you to grow us into who you want us to be. Father, today I pray first and foremost for those that are here that don't know you. Lord, they are sailing on a ship with no captain. Lord, they are sailing in a ship that has no hope, but yet, Lord, you are willing to save and to change and to heal and to work, Lord, all for your glory. Lord, today I do pray for each Christian in this place, Lord, that for whatever reason has feared, has doubted, has, Lord, looked at you with some kind of, of unworthiness, Lord, because of the storm they're in, the heartache they're facing. And, Lord, that you just send them encouraging words to remind them that you're with them, that you've not abandoned them, that you've not forgotten them. And Lord, you have a great purpose in store for them as soon as they find the haven that you're taking them to. Lord, again, for whatever needs to happen in this place, I pray that it would. And Lord, I ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.